Our series is in the last portion of the book of Ephesians, talking about the spiritual armor. And as we come to the end of this section in the text, question that comes to my mind, maybe has come to your mind, is in this whole spiritual battle that we're engaged in. By the way, Paul has taken time to define that spiritual battle. He says that what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm that we can't always see is that there are forces of evil and forces of good that are at each other. The forces of evil want to, want to oppose God in every way possible. They especially hate those who are made in the image of God, human beings. And our battle, Paul says, is against those forces, the principalities and powers, he calls them. And, and, and he tells us, what is a win in this battle, in this warfare? What does it mean if we actually achieve victory. And one of the clear ways that he talks about victory is when we stand firm. Over and over again, he talks about standing firm while tempted or attacked by the forces of evil. And we've been given this incredible armor that helps us to stand firm. The the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel. And I want to encourage you to to read this text over and over again as we move off of this passage. Continue to read it, read it in the morning, read it, you know, pray through it, just sort of absorb it. It's a very important, very powerful. So a victory is to stand firm, but what else is a victory? I think another victory, and this is where Paul seems to be headed at the very end of our passage here, um, and I'll, I'll tell you where it is and we'll open up into it in just a minute, but he seems to be headed this idea that Another way that we see victory is when the ranks of soldiers are filled out. When another person comes and dons the armor of God to meet the spiritual battle that's going on in our world behind the scenes. And that happens when somebody comes to faith. And that's what Paul seems to be leading to at the end of this passage. So would you open up with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to look at starting in verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. It will be good for you to see the actual words. Much more important than anything I say are the words in the text here. It's page 676 in that Bible that we hand out. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. We'll get one to you. Um, John, we'll get one to you. Um, Oh, and here's Jason. All right, great. Uh, And so uh, page 676 there, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Paul writes this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me in the opening, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, Paul is kind of an example to us of the call on our lives as followers of Jesus to proclaim the faith. And so what I want to encourage us towards this morning as we unpack the various elements of this text, we're really going to focus just on verses uh, 19 and 20 there. 
I want us to think about what it means to venture out boldly to speak our faith, to share our faith with the people we encounter in our sort of everyday routine, in our workplace, in our families, uh, in our neighborhoods. What does it mean to be bold in the sharing of our faith in all of those realms? And what I would like to do this morning is talk, first of all, about the call to speak of our faith, the context of our speech, and then the challenges of speaking. So the call to speak, the context of our speech, and the challenges of our speaking. So we'll tackle the first one, the call to speak. You know, the laws in our land are, are, are very uh, supportive or free for us. We are, are free to, to talk about uh, our faith. We don't have to curb our desires there. We, we, we can speak about religion in the open society context that we're in. But if you've been around, um, you know that maybe the societal views are a little different than the laws. We don't necessarily feel from our peers the same kind of uh, freedom to speak about religious things. In fact, one of the most controversial topics, right, uh, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, wherever we are, is to talk about our faith, to talk about our, the spiritual things. It's up there with some of the uh, things that we would never want to do, you know, being caught picking your nose in public or something, right? Um, people look down on that. Um, um, it's not what cool people do. And, uh, and I can understand that from a certain standpoint. Um, these touch, when we talk about issues of faith, it touches on some of the deepest parts of who we are as human beings. And it, it gets into the realm of how we view ourselves and, and what we do with our lives and, and where, what, what, what we hold most dear and how we treat others. And, and they're very, very uh, deep things. And so you can understand why uh, people sometimes are sensitive about this. In fact, sometimes people think of it as unloving to talk about your faith with somebody else. And certainly some people have done so in a way that is unloving, that have trespassed the normal norms of respect for others and, and, and done things in, in ways that are unhelpful. I was reading about this and a woman told the story about how she was sitting in a stoplight and her car window was open and, and something hit her cheek and bounced off. And she, it was a piece of paper and she opened it up and there was a, a gospel tract that somebody had thrown in her car window, hit her in the face, and, you know, probably not the best way. Um, the medium doesn't really fit the message when you, when you do it like that, right? Well, even though our society might view um, sharing our faith as kind of an unloving or, or not nice thing to do, the New Testament makes a, a strong case that it's, in fact, one of the most loving, it is the most loving thing that a person can do, to share the power of the gospel. Let's remember, what is it that we're sharing when we're sharing our faith? What is the gospel and what is the power of the gospel? If we just go back into the book of Ephesians to the very beginning and we're only going to scratch the surface of the riches of the gospel. When we share our faith, this is what's happening. We're, we're giving people an opportunity to come into favor with the only one in the universe whose opinion of you really matters, the creator of the universe. 
When, when the gospel comes into somebody's life, they immediately become part of a, 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 an immense family that stretches throughout the entire world and down through time. And they get brothers and sisters. And they get to, you know, you've, you've had this experience maybe when somebody's sick and people all over the world are praying for that person. It goes through the network of brothers and sisters in Christ and they're all praying. Or somebody has a need and people come to their, to their help. Or, um, you know, uh, you go travel somewhere. I've had this experience a number of times. And, and because of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you get a link to a link to a person and you go to somebody you don't even know and they put you up in the house and they feed you because they just know they treat you like family. And Jesus said this would happen when we come to faith. It's the normal way of things. So we get favor with God. We get a family. We get the Holy Spirit so that when we approach the problems of life, which oftentimes overwhelm us, suddenly we don't have to approach those problems only in our own strength. There's an outside force, if you will, a strength that is greater than us. And when we come to faith, that that blessing of the Holy Spirit is brought to bear on our lives. And now no longer do I have to meet the challenges of this life with my resources only. God's resources are now put at my disposal. That's what happens when somebody comes to faith. It's amazing the things that take place. We're insured, Paul talks about in Ephesians, of this inheritance that's for us. You know, we all want uh, some inheritance at some point. We know it would help us. But do we have any idea what the inheritance is that has been promised for us through the gospel? It's greater than than any that we could imagine in this life. It's it's the inheritance that is is Christ, who's who's the creator. He gets everything. uh, And we, as his brothers and sisters, he is our older brother. we We are brought into his inheritance of all things, the Bible says. Anything that we thought we lacked will be ours in Christ. Paul talks about how when the gospel comes, a person's eyes are opened up. They're enlightened. They're able to see life in a whole new way with a new meaning and a new purpose. And and so often what happens is, is a person gets vision for who they are and what they're to do with their lives when the gospel starts to take hold in somebody's life. And then to put it in stark terms, we understand that a person's condition is completely transformed. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has made you alive. That's what happens when the gospel, it's even to the extent of life versus death. Now, let me just ask you now, having thought about the power of the gospel, is it loving or not to share the gospel? In fact, wouldn't, if, if that's really true of the gospel, wouldn't it be the sort of the ultimate unloving thing to withhold that from somebody? To withhold those blessings from another person? That's what the New Testament teaches, is that, is that it's, it's out of our great love, which we only have because of the love of Christ poured out into us, that we would be willing to be awkward in relationship to share our faith or maybe even to make somebody initially frustrated with us. Although I think that actually people have a lot more grace for these kinds of conversations if they're done in the right way than we think. We often assume that people don't want to hear it when actually that might not be the case. So we've got to be careful of that. It's the loving thing to do. In fact, it's, it's, the gospel is so good and so beautiful and so life-giving that we should be bold in sharing it with others. 
Not just waiting for that, maybe one opportunity that would come once a life if the person gets to a place, but maybe even trying to steer the conversation. We should ask people what they think about what we believe. We should have the conversation. And that's what Paul says. He says it twice. He says, and he says, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly. Because boldness matches love. It's such a beautiful thing, this gospel. And so good when it comes into a person's life that the only loving thing to do is to boldly share that good news with the people around us. In fact, Paul was probably on his way to see Caesar himself. That's why he was in Rome. It says he was an ambassador in chains. He was under house arrest. During that time, people would come and they would see him Um, visit him in the house. He was chained to a soldier, most likely, waiting his turn to go in front of the emperor because he'd appealed to Caesar after his arrest. So waiting for his turn to go in front of the emperor of of all of Rome. And what did he want to do? He didn't want to even really necessarily plead his case. He just wanted to have an opportunity to share the gospel. We don't know the whole history and all that happened. But that seems to be the context that Peter, uh, Paul excuse me, is writing out of as we read this. We know the pressures. He's asking for help to be bold because the pressure is great upon us not to be bold. He was like, I don't want to hear that from you. I don't care what you think. That's good for you, not good for me. And, and Paul, who's on his way to go before Caesar and the whole, you know, the whole array. I mean, could you imagine standing in that setting and, 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 and just the pressure to kind of keep it in and don't stick your head up, right? And Paul's saying, I want to be bold. I want to fight against the societal human pressure against me to withhold the gospel. So he asks for prayer. I want to push against it because the only loving thing to do is to push against it. Well, Jesus said in in John 15, it's recorded, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Can you believe that? That's what it means to love. And yet, to share our faith is so much less than to lay down your life. At worst, you might offend somebody, right? In our, in our context, in some contexts, it can get you killed. But here, it might put a little stress on the relationship, maybe. It might not. It might feel a little awkward or uncomfortable, right? But to be loving is to go all the way to give your life. That's what Jesus modeled. And so for us, to be loving must entail at least being willing to be a little uncomfortable and a little awkward. This is the call. And you ask, well, is this call just for Paul? Well, no, it's not. Jesus said this. He said, "Um, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And the operative term there is everyone. If you're a follower of Christ, it is the call on your life to not deny Christ, but to acknowledge him before others. He also says this, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, this is Mark 8, 34, if anyone would come after me, anyone... Not just the superheroes like Paul. 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. And you cannot talk about following Jesus in the sense of that text without also talking about sharing the good news, the gospel. The two are completely intertwined. And we're to take up our cross, and this is part of taking up our cross and to denying ourselves, denying that, that fear of man, denying that and replacing it with fear of God or honor for God. That's the call that's on us. And it's a beautiful call. I know it's scary and challenging at times, but it's a beautiful call. It's a loving thing. It's a good thing. We're called to speak. Now, very important is the context of our speech. We have that in verse 18. And this is our second point, the context of our speech. Second part of verse 18 says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's another word for prayer. That's the kind of prayer where you're interceding on behalf of somebody. Lord, help so-and-so. They're sick. You know, help so-and-so. They don't know what to do with a job. Help so-and-so. They're trying to look at new purpose in their lives. Help so-and-so. That's what supplication is, is to pray for the saints who are the other followers of Christ, the believers, the brothers and sisters, it says. And we're to pray uh, all the time for our brothers and sisters. It's almost as if this call to proclaim the gospel that Paul talks about comes out of this garden of prayer within the community of faith. And we didn't talk about this as we talked about prayer last week, but this is such a critically important aspect of what it means to be the church. And you see this manifest in Paul's writings. At the end, he always comes and he names the saints, the other believers. He says, oh, greet so-and-so and, you know, praying for, and, you know, he just, he, it's, the Christian faith is worked out in real time, in real places with real people. It's not just this theoretical thing. And we're to be engaged in each other's lives by name, praying for each other by name. And what happens when we do that? And I just see this in my life. I fall off of that and it impoverishes my spiritual life so much. And then I get onto it and it's so enriching to be praying for others. To be owning their problems with them is so huge. So that when God intervenes and answers prayer, I get to celebrate too. Because I've been brought into the situation and the circumstance and the loss and the pain and the suffering. And I've been walking with the person. That's what we're to be doing with one another. So I want to encourage you in your home groups or outside of your home groups, just in the community, to be thinking daily about the prayer needs of the other people around you and bringing them to the Lord. This is going to knit you together. And remember, we're in the whole context of soldiers. And everybody knows that there's no deeper friendship than the friendship forged through battle by soldiers. They always talk about it. They never, ever find friends like that when they come off of the battlefield. And and so um, this is the kind of friendship that we're to have with one another as we pray and we sort of meet this, the principalities and powers together in prayer, praying for each other. That esprit de corps um, ends up being so rich. One of the things I love about serving in the capacity in the church that I get to serve is just knowing what's going on in people's lives and praying for them and just being in it. What, a, what an intense thing. It's hard, but it's so good. So we need to be praying. And Paul says, also for me, this, this proclamation call comes out of that rich garden of prayer among the believers. And I love that Paul, Paul the apostle says, and also pray for me. 
He's neither arrogant, meaning I'm Paul the Apostle, and I don't really need your prayers because I got this. Or is he falsely humble? Um, What I'm doing doesn't really matter. I'm not going to bother you with praying for me. I'll just keep it to myself. Right? He just says in a very simple shape, and pray also for me that I might proclaim the gospel boldly. I think we we need to grapple with this. Some of us are living in self-dependence, and so we don't ask for prayer because when we look at the things of our lives, we feel like, I got it. And it might even seem outwardly like, like we do. But we all know the reality is we don't. We need God, even when we think we don't. And so for us to learn from this, to say, look, no, just as Paul, we need to ask for help. If you can't think of 20 reasons why you desperately need God right now, then you need to do some spiritual searching, right? This is how we're intended to live, in dependency. Nor should we fall on the other side where we feel like the concerns of my life don't matter to anybody. I'm not going to impose or bother anybody with them. That's not how community works either. We're to bring forth those concerns even if it's hard, even when we feel like we don't matter, even when we feel like they don't, the concerns don't matter, we're to bring them forward and have the community pray for us. And that includes in this proclamation. Paul is our example. He says, help me as I proclaim the gospel. One of the prayers that I find God loves to answer is this prayer for an opportunity to share my faith. And this hits me every so often. I feel like, boy, it's been too long since I've had an opportunity to really share my faith with somebody, and I'll, and I'll think about it. Uh, in, last week we were in our Emmaus, one of my Emmaus groups, and we were talking about this, and so we prayed that God would give us an opportunity. And I had a couple of opportunities this last week. There's something about that prayer that God seems to love to answer it. Give me a chance to share my faith with somebody who's in need, somebody who's broken, somebody who's hurting, somebody who, you know, Uh, feels like they're worthless and valueless and they're striving in all kinds of um, painful, uh, unhelpful ways to get a kind of a self-worth. And if they just knew the gospel, that in Christ they can have favor with the the only person whose opinion matters, with God, the creator of the universe, then it would bring healing to their life. Bring me into contact with somebody who's struggling to meet the challenges of life and their own resources and they need outside help from the Holy Spirit to be able to meet these challenges, and they don't know it's available, Lord, bring me into contact with somebody like that. And I just find that that prayer, God loves to answer that prayer. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now, as I'm going to keep talking, but as I'm talking, you can be praying, God, would you give me an opportunity to share my faith this week? Maybe somebody out there in in my sphere of influence who is in need of the gospel. God, would you give me a chance this week to share my faith? And if you, I mean, I want to make you pray that prayer, of course, but if you sense from this text and from the movement of the Spirit in your life that it's the right prayer to pray, then pray that prayer in sincerity and watch. Keep your eyes open for this week for opportunities to be able to share your faith with somebody who's in need. I'm excited to hear how that goes. All right, the context of our speech is prayer. We, this grows out of prayer. I love what Paul does next. He addresses the challenges of speaking. He's a realist. 
He knows that when we step out to share our faith with loving hearts, that there oftentimes comes challenges to us. It's not a simple thing. And the challenges we face are, first of all, we've already talked about the challenge of boldness. Uh, We are to be bold in doing this. And one of the challenges we face is that we're not bold. We're shy. And we don't share what we have. And I think one of the ways that we can increase our boldness is to become more saturated in the gospel. I find that to the extent I'm living out the gospel on a daily basis, in other words, I really am depending on God for all my needs. I'm bringing my prayer requests. I'm seeking in the scriptures. I'm participating in community. I'm engaged in worship as we gather as the corporate body on Sundays to the extent that I'm diving and digging into what it means to live a gospel-centered life. The gospel comes out of me more freely and more boldly. So if we're going to share, we need to, we need to take care of business with us and dive deeper into the gospel and then you see this in this craze. I don't know, this last week, this whole Pokemon, everybody been tracking this Pokemon Go thing? This is wild. I was looking at the headlines this morning, and um, there was a situation in Florida where these two teenagers ended up in somebody's front yard in their car because they were chasing Pokemon. And um, the guy comes out, it's like at 1 a.m., and he thinks that they're robbers. And he goes up to the car and he hears them say, Did you get anything? And he thinks, oh, man, they've stolen my ha- something from my house, right? But they were just talking about Pokemon. Did you get any Pokemon, you know? And so he pulls out a gun on him. And they go peeling off, and he shoots the car. Craziness. I've, I saw the headlines, there's a guy who quit his job to be able to do Pokemon Go nonstop. Um, there was uh, a couple of people who ended up in a cave 100 feet underground, stuck, because they were chasing a Pokemon or something. And, and then, it's craziness. Um, oh, and then there was, a, <laughs> there was a robbery that was stopped because a guy was in somebody's yard chasing Pokemon. I don't even know if that's what you say. I assume that's what it is. And, uh, and, and, and there was a robbery taking place, and he looked up and noticed it and called the police. And the police came. Sheesh. See, this is what happens when you get saturated in something. You go out and crazy things happen, right? If you're saturated in the gospel, like forget this you know, walk around with a phone. Where's the Pokemon, right? What if you toss the phone, you're saturated in the gospel, and you walk around with your eyes open. Lord, where are you moving? Where are you moving? And how can I move into that? What words would you give me to speak, right? This is what it means to be bold. All right, and then Paul talks about the words that we, that we speak. This is amazing to me. Do you look back in the text. He says, and also for me, that words, this is Paul the Apostle who wrote the largest portion of the New Testament and must have been incredibly eloquent uh, or at least conceptually understood how to, to speak to masses. And, you know, he says, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly. This guy was worried and afraid about having the words to say when the opportunity came. Paul. Paul was worried. So let me just say, if you think there's going to be some moment in life when you have mastered everything and there will be no fear left in sharing the gospel, let me just disabuse you of that expectation. Because that day is never going to come. And if you wait for it, Satan's going to use that to keep you from speaking. 
What we need to do is loosen our tongues in, with fear and trepidation and uncertainty and allow the Holy Spirit to take that and do what he will with it. And a couple of important points is that we do have the Holy Spirit. When we start to speak in dependency, we rely on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. We don't even have to deal with that, mostly in, in our context, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Then he says this, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. So just release the tongue. Just start. Take the first step and just, you know, I don't know what to say and tell the people you don't know what to say. Just trust God to take what you're offering with the Holy Spirit to use it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not eloquence that brings people to faith anyway. Benjamin Franklin listened to George Whitfield preach over and over again. They became fast friends. Benjamin Franklin was, you know, loved George Whitfield, probably the most eloquent preacher in the history of Christianity after Jesus. And <laughs> Benjamin Franklin never came to faith, even though he sat under this eloquent preacher time and again. So it's not about eloquence. In fact, sometimes we say the most awkward, goofy things, and we learn later that that was the exact thing that the person needed to hear. Crazy stuff going on with advertising. When you walk around, or when you surf on the net or anything like that, the advertisers are learning more and more about you so that they can advertise just the specific thing that you want or they think you want, right? It's kind of scary. Pretty soon you're going to be walking through a department store and the advertisements will actually change on the on the billboards as you walk by because they'll know it's you, you know. Because they're targeting what you need. Well, when you're sharing the gospel, do you think you know exactly what aspect of the gospel that person needs? No. You can't know, but the Holy Spirit can know. And so as you wait and listen to the prompting of the Spirit and just loose your tongue and let it go, you will have, the Holy Spirit will take pick up and take care of what you need to speak. All right. Words. Words are a challenge, but we can overcome that. And then the last challenge is the challenge of chains. Chains. You remember Paul is in chains. This phrase, ambassador in chains. This is a crazy statement. Ambassadors don't wear chains. They're sent from the ruler, the emperor, the king, to go out and be his voice piece wherever they are needed. They don't wear chains. That's sort of antithetical to who they are. They get to go out free of chains. But here's Paul. He's an ambassador in chains. What strikes me about his prayer, as I think about that fact, remember he's chained probably to another soldier waiting to see Caesar. What strikes me about that is when he asks them to pray, he doesn't say, and also for me, that I might be freed from these chains. He says that I might be given the words to speak and to speak them boldly. The lesson is that the chains become the vehicle for the gospel. It was because of the chains that he'd been arrested that he was going to get an opportunity to speak to the emperor. So the chains weren't inhibiting gospel proclamation. 
The chains were the actual vehicle of the proclamation of the gospel. And as Paul sat there in Rome, Rome, we know this from the end of the book of Acts, people would come to him in his house and he got to share the gospel, all different kinds of people, over and over again. Here he was in chains. And he got, to, he got to proclaim the gospel. And it was the gospel, it was the chains that allowed him to share it. And I just want to say and acknowledge that we all have chains. Everybody in this room, we have chains. We have limitations. We have personal failures. We have family problems. We have collateral damage in our lives from sins in the past. We have relational shipwrecks from the past or maybe even the present. We have illnesses that we're battling. We have pasts and records and reputations and image problems. We all have chains of one sort or another. And Satan wants to jab us in the side, reminding us of our chains until we remove ourselves from the game of sharing the gospel. But what God does, what Jesus says, is watch me turn those chains into the actual vehicle of the proclamation of the gospel. You're the thing that's worst or most limiting about you, I will take and transform and make it the vehicle of the proclamation of my gospel. If you're sick, then how you go through sickness is a testimony to the people around you as you lean into the gospel. If you have a past, then the story of what you've been saved from is what God will use to show and to display his gospel. If you have family problems and you're crying out for help and you have need and things aren't perfect and yet in the midst of it you're leaning into the Lord, that's what he'll use to reveal and to display his power to the people around you. And if you, if you have failures in your life, it's the second chances that God's going to give you that are going to be the very vehicle through which he displays his gospel. And it goes on and on and on. And the point is, Don't hide your chains. Don't hide the things that limit you, the problems in your life, your sickness, your struggle. Don't hide them. It's through those that you're going to have a platform, often, to declare God's goodness and grace, the gospel. So to be somebody who answers the call to speak is to be a transparent person. And I think we struggle with this. We think that being a Christian means I got to show up with all my T's crossed and my I's dotted and I'm that person who's got it all together. And if I'm together enough, then the people will look at me and they'll go, oh, I want Jesus too. No. Paul didn't have to tell the Ephesians and everywhere else this letter went that he was in chains. But he chose to because it was part of his testimony. It was a critical part of his testimony. So for us to share the gospel is to be vulnerable about our sin, about our brokenness, about our need, about our problems. And to just sort of sit at it saying, and this great gospel is going to meet me here. And I trust God. Interestingly, and I close with this. The same word for chain that Paul uses here is also the word that was used by rich women who ordained themselves in costly jewelry that was oftentimes also chains. And I like to think of the transformation that the gospel makes on our limitations and our sins and and our brokenness. 
is it's like taking the chains of prison and turning them into this beautiful adornment around us that display God's glory and goodness. But that only happens if people are able to see what our chains are. So God, would you help us this week, give us opportunities to share our faith? Would you help us to meet the needs of others? And we don't even know what they are, but we ask you and invite you. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. But we also know it's our responsibility to be bold. And when the opportunity comes to step into it in faith, in fear and trepidation, just like Paul was afraid of proclaiming the gospel in his context, we're afraid. And yet it's so beautiful to see when we step out in faith, the Holy Spirit meeting us. Sometimes we don't even know how. Sometimes we walk away confused or mystified. Um, but you meet us in that. In, in, and you're doing something deeper below the surface that we often can't see. And so we ask for boldness. We ask for the words to speak. We ask for the chains around us to be used for your glory. We pray that we would not be trying to give glory to ourselves, but always giving glory to you. We ask that you increase our prayer as a community around this topic. And we pray that we would answer the call to speak of our faith, to speak of the one we love, to speak of Jesus Christ, wherever you have us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.